Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Hey, I'm Charles Robinson, and welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. When you live in an urban environment like Baltimore City, you often look for simple pleasures like swaths of green grass or a place for recreation. That is Druid Hill Park on the west side of Baltimore. It is an oasis. Built before the turn of the century, its main attraction was a newly constructed reservoir slash lake to provide clean drinking water. In the last year, the city was ordered to encase the clean drinking water in underground enclosures. It disrupted one of the main east-west arteries with construction. This led to a discussion about the park and, yes, reimagining the park. On this edition of Future City, a Druid Hill Park redo. The zoo has been a part of the park since its inception. You'll hear from the zoo's CEO, Kirby Fowler. They've got some ideas of how they can help with enhancements. It's not just the park which is undergoing renovations. The communities surrounding the lake, Reservoir Hill and Madison Park, didn't want to be left out. David Bramble lives on Madison Avenue. He's with MCB Real Estate LLC. With the revisions to the lake, Bramble wants you to think differently. They're talking about bringing back the allure of Druid Lake Drive as lakefront property. I also had a chance to go to a kickoff with stakeholders and neighbors at the Druid Hill Mansion. Here's a conversation with Catalina Bird, one of the founding members of the Druid Hill Park Foundation. My name is Catalina Bird, and I am one of the founding board members of the new Druid Hill Park Partnership. Let's talk about why this partnership is so important, especially for the neighborhoods who are nearby. And you live nearby. Yes. Because I think a lot of times people see the park and go, oh, that's just where come play basketball, that's where you come, come to the zoo. It's more than that, isn't it? It's a whole lot more than that, and especially um, depending on where you grew up. Uh, so as a small child, I remember loving Safety City, um, and I love taking my kids there. But Safety City needs some redevelopment. It needs some upbringing, um, some beautification, if you will. Uh, and so everybody's relationship to the park is different. Uh, given what they're used to doing in it. But what we are here to do is to connect all of the communities surrounding the park, the Woodberries and the Remingtons on the northeast side to the Ockentrolley and the Reservoir Hill on the southwest side. Um, we noticed those communities weren't talking to each other, but everybody wanted to have input into what was going to happen. I note that, you know, obviously they're closing off part of the uh, reservoir. And for the first time, literally since the turn of the century, they're going to be boats on that. <laughs> yes, yes, that is one talk of the reasons. Talk a little bit about the look of the park, because I can tell you, I grew up with that fountain 
and the lights change. So um, Councilman Torrance mentioned that too. Um, and that's one of the things. We've allowed it to go uninvested in for so long that it's not as modern as some of the parks in other cities. It's the third largest urban park in the United States. Um, and so what we are here to do is to help raise money through organizations and community. We told the mayor this evening, we don't think that the city or the state should have to pay for every single thing that happens. We, as the community, want to come and advocate for ourselves. And our first round will be beautification, um, just helping to bring more people, he brought, bring more people um, in to find out about the park. There's lots of people that don't know that they're basketball courts. They don't know that the pool just got reopened um, and had historic investment in it, as well as the zoo, one of the oldest conservatories in the country. Um, so it's just a lot to be proud of that we want to bring more people to and have input in. I note that uh, I think most people, when they think about Jerusalem Park, they think about the zoo. <laughs> but see, it, it, it depends, because when I think about Druid Hill Park, I think about Sundays and all the cars and the bikes, and it being a central place that, you know, all kinds of black community members came together to show off their vehicles, and it was, it was it, it's a big deal on Sundays um, when I was coming up. So, like I said, everybody's relationship to the park is different. What do you hope people take away? We hope that people um, learn who we are. They, they see Dale, myself, and Zane as the founding members of this new partnership, that we are here for them, um, and that they get excited and want to stay engaged with us so that we can make sure there's a voice for everyone um, going into the next phase of this and the development of the park. I'm Mabel Gordon, the president of Citizen for Community Improvement in the Walbrook area. I want to talk about Drew Hill Park. Drew Hill Park has been central to the Walbrook area and all the areas around here. Why is it important that we don't forget about the things that go on in this, in this park? Well, this park has been here for years and um, it needs some improvement. I can remember going around the reservoir years ago. We walk and jog, well walk, not jog. And uh, the, uh, the animals down there, they have improved the animal um, cages down there and the uh, Swimming pools, they got the swimming pools. But I like the idea that they put our drinking water underground because of the safety. Mm -hmm. I note that one of the things they're talking about improving is some of the amenities here. I mean, there's even talk of creating a tennis facility here. What do you think about that? I think it would be an improvement because they do have a tennis court that's been here for years, but it would attract more people coming into Drew Hill Park. Mayor Brandon Scott weighs in on the changes to Jude Hill Park. I just came here briefly tonight just really to say how excited I am about all that's happening in and around Drew Hill Park and what a historic moment, as Catalina just said, this is, right? We know uh, that this park for many, 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 many years uh, went ignored and underinvested, and now we can see uh, that turning. This, uh, this summer, myself, the council president, uh, Councilman Torrance, got to open a brand new Drew Hill Park pool. Uh, as someone who walked down to the pool all the time in the summertime, we never swam in the pools in Park Heights because the pool was right here. Uh, we know what it used to be and what we have now. And now with these next phases of what we're moving into with a new uh, Park Rue Rec Center coming up uh, around the corner, we're talking about uh, making sure that this part of town is seen and heard. And doing that not for, but with 
the community. And that's the only way that we're going to make sure that we have the best representation that we're having, the events that we're having, the infrastructure, the investments that we continue to have. Big, beautiful black Afram in Drew Hill Park. Their pride is here. We have the zoo here. We know how special this is. And we can make uh, this park better, better for the next generation as long as we continue to work together. So thank you very much. And I will turn the mic back over to my boss, Catalina Burke. <laughs> Let's take a listen to Larissa Torres, who was tasked with what the park could look like. She is a landscape architect. First of all, I am delighted to be joined by Larissa Torres. She's with the city of Baltimore, and she's a landscape designer. And you may be wondering why we're talking a landscape designer, because she was involved in the process of reimagining what Druid Hill Park would look like, especially around the reservoir. Larissa, thanks for joining us here on Future City. Sure, thank you, happy to be here. Let's talk a little bit about first, what were some of your challenges in trying to redesign basically one of the iconic parks in the city of Baltimore? Well, you've kind of hit right on it there. Um, it is such an iconic park. It has such high visibility and um, holds a special place for so many people uh, around the city. So we had to really take our time and make sure we're getting this right. One of the areas that you're concentrating on is in and around the reservoir. Uh, I can tell you, I grew up near this reservoir. I remember when it had a fountain in the middle and the lights changed. You probably heard all this, but what was your challenge because I understand that both the EPA and Homeland Security kind of told the city that they had to cover up portions of the reservoir. So take us from that point. Sure. So that um, aspect is being addressed by uh, DPW, one of our sister agencies. That's the huge construction project that everyone is real tired of seeing. <laughs> and ready for it to be wrapped up. So they are putting in two humongous underground tanks that will now hold the drinking water supply um, that was previously held in the reservoir. So that will be covered. Um, however, you don't just rip out a 60, 70, 80 acre lake and dam. So what is left will become uh, recreational reservoir. A lot of people may not understand this, but literally there haven't been boats or people being able to fish on this reservoir since literally the turn of the century. That must have been a challenge for you. Uh, it was, and it was um, really kind of became the focus of what we were trying to do is sort of it was always designed to keep people away. Don't let people close to the water, like look, but don't touch, admire from afar. And now we finally have the opportunity to bring people to the water. Um, so we're trying to come up with as many ways that we can do that as possible. Talk to me a little bit about your ideas and maybe some of the ideas of the folks who are working on the park uh, they had for this space? Oh, goodness. We've had so many, 
so many ideas. Um, we, we started out with the idea to kind of do something big and transformative, but we didn't really have any um, preconception as to what that might be. And we um, had two community engagement meetings where maybe we listed 20 or 30 things like, do you like any of these ideas? Do you not like any of these ideas? And then a whole open answer section. And we got all kinds of stuff, zip lines across, zip lines across 83, like <laughs> all kinds of really creative things, but it really helped condense down the aspects that were the most popular that kept coming up over and over again. So now we're able to focus more on, you know, a much shorter list. <laughs> One of the things that you had in one of your drawings was a bridge that would go across this lake. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about, first of all, that concept and how do you make that work? Sure. So um, we certainly are going big where one of the things that we're doing is uh, constructing some islands in the um, body of water itself. And then providing a pedestrian bridge across to those islands. And the, the purpose of all of that is again, to be able to bring people to the water. Like we all know the success of the inner Harbor and other cities with river walks. People love to go to the water. They love to be close to the water. They love to be over the water. And that is a way that we're um, focusing on doing that. A lot of people are going to ask the simple question, well, how long is it going to take you to do this? Indeed, that's a fair question. And it will not be short, of course. This is a very large scope of all of the elements that we're trying to accomplish here. And I would say seven to 10 years is something like a good ballpark by the time we, you know, we have phases and construction pieces that go in phases. So, and all of the fun city and state procurement things that have to happen. So all of that stuff sort of builds on itself. But the good news is that uh, for Rec and Parks, this is one vision plan or master plan that is moving directly into design and implementation. Um, I know in the past, and we've heard this when we were doing the vision planning that um, sometimes communities get a master plan for their park and they, you know, come to meetings and provide their input and they're all excited. And then it kind of goes on the shelf and does nothing. So this is one that is going full steam ahead. I want to know, were you surprised at the number of stakeholders that you saw at this kickoff event and how engaged they were in the process? Both yes and no, I think. Yes, I was surprised at the number because um, often we don't get that kind of attendance, but no, because this is a high profile project. There is a lot of activity in the surrounding communities, um, a lot of development, a lot of interest in this park and this project. Um, other agencies doing projects. So in that aspect, I was not surprised at all because every there's some energy happening in this area of the city. As you know, this show is called Future City. 
this will change the landscape of what Baltimore City is. Can you put it in perspective from the implementation to the final and hopefully we'll be around when it does come to fruition? I do think that this project can be very, very transformative for this area of the city, but for the city as a whole, um, especially because of its high profile location. Uh, a lot of commuters and visitors and tourists come on that 83 corridor. And if there's a bunch of stuff happening up at Hill, it's gonna catch people's attention in a positive way. And similarly, I think um, activating the water will bring more residents. We're working also with our DOT partners to get better connection to the surrounding neighborhoods for pedestrians and bikes, um, which historically has been really difficult and dangerous, <laughs> frankly, to get across the streets surrounding that end of the park. So. I think all of those things will sort of come together to just sort of, I don't know, sort of elevate. I hate to use the buzzword synergy, but, you know, there's a, a point where you get a critical mass and then everything just starts filling in, you know, more people, more activity, more development, more shops, more investment, da, 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 you know, it sort of starts piling on itself. Thank you, Larissa Torres, for joining us here on Future City. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Larissa Torres. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We don't want you to go anywhere. In our next segment, it's not just the park which will undergo renovations. The neighborhood across from the park includes Reservoir Hill and Madison Park North. Dave Bramble is with MCB Real Estate LLC. They've got some ideas on how to incorporate the changes into the area. We'll be right back. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. On today's show, we're looking at a redesign of Druid Hill Park. It's not just the park which needs an overhaul. The surrounding communities of Reservoir Hill and Madison Park North have had their challenges. Dave Bramble lives on Madison Avenue, which is near the park. He and his partners at MCB Real Estate LLC unveiled their ideas to improve the area. Here are two of the principles from MCB Real Estate LLC. Josh Neiman with MCB Real Estate. And Teresa Stegman with MCB Real Estate. How do you see this new 
sorry, Charles, I missed your question. How do we see the new development? In and around the park. It's exciting. I think uh, what we're working on is complementary and adding additional residences and bringing more activity to the park. So we think it's going to be a great amenity for the area and just could not be more happy for all those improvements to happen. I would say there are two projects we're doing here. One is Madison Park North, and the other is a project called the Linden, which is right on the park. And I would, to build on what Tricia say is, people need to view Druid Lake as waterfront property. They don't currently. And I think developments like ours and what the city is putting into redoing the lake cha will change that perception and make this no different than the waterfront property of the Inner Harbor. I, look, I grew up around here, so I've always thought it's really like park as a as waterfront property. But a lot of people don't. They don't. They don't. The communities in and around the park have changed over the years. You know, uh, in its early iterations, it was well-to-do folks from the uh, turn of the century. Then uh, there was a Jewish migration. Over here. There's been a black migration. There's an urban renaissance that's going on. In this. Can you take advantage of that? Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. So we're building 120 uh, market rate townhomes at Madison Park North. And it's a unique site because we have eight acres to work with. So we're helping to even better establish a market here, prove that there's a desire to, um, to create home ownership in West Baltimore. And then we're going to build off of that and add additional apartments. Um, and it'll be a mix of, I mean, Josh can speak better to this, but market rate um, and some workforce. But I think leading with the, the market rate townhomes is really important to our overall thesis for, for building up West Baltimore and making this a new gateway site. Perfect. You want to add something yeah, we are building 350 plus apartments between this site and the Linden site. And those are bringing people who want to live in the city. Exactly what you said. There is an urban renaissance. And I think it's different. You gave a very good historical background of what the um, migration has been. Uh, and you left out some of the darker sides of that. And I appreciate that. But I think now, um, with who wants to be in cities, they don't care. They want to be in the city. They want to be able to walk to work or bike to work. They want to be able to use the park. They want to go right down North Avenue, whether they're affiliated with Micah or whether they're going all the way into town. My name is uh, David Bramble. I am the managing partner and one of the co-founders of MCD Real Estate. We are a real estate investment and development company um, that was formed here in Baltimore. Well, let's talk about the area in and around Druid Lake Drive and around the Druid Park area. For a number of years, this, this neighborhood has seen its ups and downs, but you guys see this as an opportunity Tell me how you envision and what did you bring to the table to make it happen? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think, at, you know, for context, I've lived um, in the I mean, in, in this part of Baltimore for my whole life uh, in Madison Park, which is, which is sort of just to the south and a little bit to the west of Reservoir Hill, which is the neighborhood that borders the south of the park. 
um, and uh, or the south of the park and the lake. Uh, so I've always believed in the potential of this neighborhood, even though a lot of people, a lot of folks haven't. And you've got a lot of people who, who've left over the years. Um, but when you think about the quality of this amenity, meaning the lake and the park, and especially now that they're going to redo the lake, um, it's pretty easy to see what the future for this site is for the for the lake and the surrounding communities. Um, if you have a little bit of uh, of of a uh, little bit of vision about what it could be. If you're very focused on what it was, which is, you know, someplace that people have deemed unsafe sometimes and, um, you know, not not the jewel that it that it could be, I think then then it's easy to sort of miss the boat. Um, what do we bring to the table? I think a, hopefully a sense of optimism that um, that that the neighborhood surrounding um, Drew Park Lake can, you know, have uh, very bright days ahead of them. As I was at the event to kick off uh, uh, the Druid Park Foundation Group, one of the things that was, was very clear to me, and you've mentioned this, this optimism and this ability to re-envision a neighborhood that extends literally all the way back to the turn of century and has had various iterations of migrations that have come to it. When you look at the housing stock in and around the lake, it has, I mean, it, it shows its wear and tear. And I, I'm quite certain that you know this because if you live in a Madison neighborhood, it's one of the oldest neighborhoods in the city. No, I think you're right. I mean, it shows its wear and tear because there's been a lack of investment and for reasons we could spend hours on, you know, uh, capital was restricted um, in, in these neighborhoods. Uh, um, for, for, you know, between redlining and all these other things that have happened in these communities. Um, but it doesn't change the beauty of the architecture. It doesn't change the quality of the major assets that we have. Obviously, you've got this massive park here. And then to the south, you've got other parks. You've got lots of areas. You have all these, you know, you have cultural destinations between the zoo. Um, you have Maryland Institute College of Art to the, to the south. Um, you have easy access to the rest of the city to the to the east. Um, easy access to ninety um, to eighty three. Um, I just think there's a, I think there's a story to be told about the quality of this location. Um, and I think what's amazing if you if you you know spend any time walking around Reservoir Hill in, in particular, you can see the neighborhoods um, the neighborhoods coalescing. Um, you can see people streaming lights outside of their houses and having events and, and getting excited about their neighborhood and the future of the neighborhood. I mean, um, Reservoir Hill's going through a pretty amazing re renaissance. Well, let's talk about what you're building because I think a lot of folks think that, oh, these are a bunch of outsiders who are coming in and they're gonna, they're gonna move all the people out and move some new people in. I heard from your principals and they said, no, that is not the idea for us. So explain that to the audience, if you will. Sure. So um, we have a couple of major projects in, in the area. Um, the one that's most immediately adjacent to, to the park is the Linden, which is a uh, market rate apartment building that we're planning on building on a vacant lot. There's no one there today. Um, the lot's been vacant for years. Um, and if uh, if things cooperate with us, we'll, we'll come back and build an apartment building there. Um, and that was after a lot of negotiation and discussion with the community. 
um, in terms of what they wanted and, and all those other things. And then to the south, um, which is sort of the, we see it sort of a capstone project um, that um, will benefit the entire uh, North Avenue corridor as, and then all the way up Reservoir Hill to, to, to Drew Park Lake is our Madison Park North project, which is a major mixed-use project, which will include um, uh, multifamily, for-sale housing, um, and uh, retail, grocery store, and potentially some office with a workforce uh, development component. So we're really thinking big about this, um, you know, about this area. I mean, the total investment between those two projects will exceed $140, $150 million, and we're really excited about the opportunity to kind of do something like that in West Baltimore. Dave, I can tell you this. I've been going to that park like you since I was a small child. And I can tell you this, that I have never seen boats on the Reservoir Lake. That is probably <laughs> one of the most exciting things I have ever heard to happen to this park. Tell me what that does when you hear we're going to put boats. We're going to have a land bridge. And will that change the perception of not only the neighborhood, but of how people see this urban park, which is like the third oldest in America? I really hope so. I mean, I obviously believe it because we're making that invest in the investments in the neighborhood. But I really hope so, because, um, you know, I think a lot of people sort of see Drew Park Lake Drive like a super highway to get from the west side to the east side. No one is stopping to sort of take in the beauty of the water. Um, and uh, I think that really adding the recreational uses, the boats, the fish, all those things will remind people that there is this major amenity. I mean, it is a massive community amenity. The park has been already, you know, for years. I mean, our, my kids play baseball there and, you know, we go there for picnics and all kinds of things. But now with the lake, the water, you're actually, by making it recreational, we're sort of taking it to the next level. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's super exciting. Um, and I do believe that it will sort of change the perception that, oh, these neighborhoods on the west side are not amenitized. There's really no reason for anybody to go over there. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about it. And I think people are excited about it. Dave, how long is it going to take for us to see the change? Because, you know, I've, I look, I've been in this city long enough to know that people have thought about ideas like this, but they haven't come to fruition. What is your sense of the how, when and why? Well, I can't speak. I wish I could speak to how long it's going to take um, to complete, complete the lake renovations and the um, or the, the modifications and the rest of the modifications to the streets, which I think are also critical um, because if you know the streets are kind of too wide and it's difficult um, for, for people to get from the neighborhoods to the amenity, which has sort of made it a very driving destination when we want to make it much more walkable for the immediate, uh, the immediate households and neighborhoods. I can tell you that, you know, we can't really speak to that timeline, but we believe in the timelines that, you know, we're praying that the timelines that they've thrown out there, which is getting started on this in the next few years in terms of the actual construction um, are real. And you can see the work that's being done today. If you drive by, the work of getting the tanks under the, the ground seems to be done. 
So now it's a time for you know really sort of diving in and getting the amenities done. And I know that the I know that the uh, the architects or, or landscape design folks have been in front of UDAP with initial proposals. So we're hoping that that process moves along and we see some some action um, as soon as possible. Dave, I want to thank you for joining us here on Future City, and we really do look forward to the future. As do we. So thank you so much for having me today. Thanks, Dave Bramble. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We have to take another break, but don't you go anywhere. In our last segment, if you live or visited Drood Hill Park, you've likely been to the Maryland Zoo. Kirby Fowler, the CEO of the zoo, believes these changes are right in line with what they are planning. We'll be right back. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my! Well, you're likely to find them and more animals at the Maryland Zoo. Soon after Druid Hill Park opened, The zoo was one of its features. Gone are the cages and enclosures with few amenities. If you haven't been in a while, animals at the zoo are now in habitats which mimic their natural surroundings in the wild. Kirby Fowler is the CEO of the zoo. The changes at Druid Hill Park flow into their strategic plans for the zoo. Zoo has always been a part of this park. Yes, for nearly 150 years we've been a part of this park. Uh, so we're very excited about the city's plans for the improvements to the park. Anything that connect us more to the park and to the people who enjoy the park, the better. We also have our own master plan as well for the next 10 years, which will help to bring activity and animals to the front part of the zoo. For decades we've improved the back part of the zoo get to create better habitats for animals. Now it's our time to yeah, it's our time to turn our attention to the front part and bring animals back to the main part of the zoo, the main valley, the historic part of the zoo. Kirby, I'm old enough to remember when I used to walk down that valley and yeah. saw all the animals yeah. in cages. You have reimagined, and the zoo has reimagined, what zoological life should be. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. Good zoos like us um, have evolved over the years and have really given animals more choice and control over their environment. It's very important. It's about the animals first. It's not about entertaining us. It's about the animals' care and how we can learn from animals and actually take what we learn here to improve their wild habitats. For example, we learn about elephants here, and we are now supporting a group in Africa to um, geotrack 10 African elephants who are in the wild to to figure out what their patterns are for migration and to reduce human elephant conflict so they can exist. So what we do here, animal care, 
Uh, it's about choice and control for animals. It's about better habitats for animals. Uh, it's not about us being entertained by them anymore. I note that I came here when you opened up the, the new penguin exhibit. Yeah. It's still one of the most popular exhibits here, is it not? Sure, the penguin exhibit is an award-winning exhibit. Uh, we won a national award for that exhibit. It was built in 2014, and to this day, I think it's one of the most popular exhibits we have. Uh, the penguins, we've got nearly 100 penguins. We are the leaders in the country in terms of the number of uh, penguins, African penguins we have. Uh, but it's just the whole way it was done to mimic this village in South Africa. It's just really well done. I note that, you know, uh, you've already indicated that you've worked on the back part of the yes. zoo. In the front, what would people see if they came in? Sure. The, so when they would enter, uh, over the next 10 years, they would see a new reptile building, amphibian and rent reptile building. And that used to be off the property. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're bringing it in. Uh, we'll have a new building there. But also, you would walk through a gibbon habitat. Gibbons are these small primates. They, they have this beautiful call. Uh, but they'll swing from trees. You don't need any fencing for them. You just create a moat. They can't swim. And so they stay in their area, but they could swing from tree to tree. And you actually could walk underneath that. As you then get to a uh, birds of prey uh, habitat. So we'll have things like stellar sea eagles, which are the gorgeous sea eagles from Canada, just who'll be in very large habitats and, and with, with shows for people just to understand um, how, how they um, exist in the wild. I note that uh, over the years, a lot of things have been tried here. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point they let the antelope run free. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I didn't yeah. even know that. In addition yeah. to letting the antelope run free, you know, you have a Sahara type uh, mm -hmm. habitat that's out there. Look at that crystal ball of yours and tell me what's in that crystal ball head of yours. Sure. Like, what would I like to see? Sure. Well, um, the zoo's done a fantastic job in building the African journey. Uh, that's what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. it's a big, big open habitat, um, also the, the Penguin Coast. Uh, but what's next is more focus on the Americas, North and South America, have animals that can really thrive in our climate. And that's a key for Maine Valley and uh, bringing back Maine Valley is to, to have all those wonderful things happening. Kirby, um, there is an effort underway to reimagine the park and the zoo has been a part of its its inception. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the zoo started in 1876. We're the third oldest zoo in the country. So we've always been closely aligned with this park and the success of the park. So we're very excited that the city has these significant plans to change the whole vision of the reservoir, but also uh, add new amenities that could even draw people closer to the zoo, connect the reservoir to the zoo uh, in, in a much more um, imaginative way. We held, there was a major event held at the uh, mansion up at uh, Druid Hill Park uh, I can date myself because I remember when the mansion was the birdhouse. <laughs> and, yes. And I note that um, the zoo has always found ways to incorporate exhibits, or at least in its newest iteration, to incorporate exhibits that just aren't cages, but are actually uh, habitats. Can you talk to this whole zoological change, if you will? Sure, no, it's a very important evolution uh, of, I say, good zoos. We're, we're one of the good zoos. We're accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. It's a very high standard to meet. Uh, those zoos have evolved significantly over the past several decades. Uh, initially, they could look at our main valley, the historic main valley, where we have these 
uh, cages that were built in the 20s and 30s of the 1900s. And they were very small cages, small holding areas. Sometimes multiple species were crammed into these spaces. So my predecessors uh, 30, 40 years ago started to move species out of there and build the back part of the zoo where we have African Journey, uh, now the Penguin, Penguin Coast and Maryland Wilderness. So over these past several decades, the animals have gotten much better habitats, much more naturalistic, uh, much more humane, more spacious, all those things. The evolution of zoos has gone from really animals being there to entertain us to now us learning from them, seeing them in as best an environment we can create for them and allowing those animals to have choice and control. I note that one of the things you are in the process of doing is getting the front part of the zoo to have more exhibits. And I note that, you know, I'm old enough to remember when the reptile house wasn't actually on the facility. It was outside of the facility. Talk about what you envision for the new reptile house. Sure. So the old reptile house is outside our, even, you know, even our fence perimeter now. Uh, this, the city owns it. Uh, they are going to renovate that old reptile facility. But for us, this whole front part of the zoo is this canvas that we can paint on. Uh, we've got plans to have open habitats for gibbons or uh, birds of prey, but we need to have a significant building to represent our reptile and amphibian work. Uh, many people don't know that we saved, literally saved Panamanian golden frogs. Many people may not know what they are, but they are the the symbolic emblem of Panama, just like the bald eagle is, you know, are, are the, the symbolic animal for the um, for the United States. They all had died in the wild. They're about to die in the wild. We saved them and brought them back to life. This kind of facility will hammer home those important conservation programs that we have, while also exposing people to reptiles and amphibians. Uh, a lot of people are into reptiles and amphibians as much as they are into mammals and birds. Uh, they deserve a place to see them as well. And we have now spread out these reptiles and amphibians throughout the zoo, but this will be a nice central location for them. One of the things you and I talked about was this idea of incorporating uh, North American species into the zoo. Can you give the public a kind of idea of what you're thinking? Sure. As we were embarking on our master plan, looking at the next 10 years, we were looking at what are some of the closer zoos to us, like Philadelphia Zoo, National Zoo, what kind of um, geographic habitats do they have? What are, what are some of their focuses? And um, we, we figured out, you know, in order for us to stand out, we should really embrace the Americas, North and South America, and, and really become experts in that area since we already have, again, the Panamanian golden frogs and other species here. Uh, also, you have to think about our own climate and environment. Uh, we want animals that could thrive here, that can survive our wild fluctuations of temperatures that go from one degree <laughs> Fahrenheit in the winter to 101 in the summer. That's a wild fluctuation. Animals have to be used to that. And if we just take an animal out from another continent and just plop up here, it may not be the best environment for them. So we want to focus on animals that could really thrive in our climate. I believe that the zoo has taught little kids more about their environment than any other thing. Are you of that same ilk? Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you for, for saying that because that is critical to what we are. We're about educating people. Our, our mission is to, to engage people 
in personal interactions with animals in the, the world around us. And we've got to continue to do that. People won't appreciate climate change. They won't appreciate the species uh, without having this exposure. Over the past 30 years, 40% of species in the world have disappeared. We can't continue down that road. So for all people, young and old alike, to appreciate it, that's our goal. That's Kirby Fowler. He's the CEO and president of the Baltimore Zoo. Kirby, thank you for joining us here on Future City. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kirby Fowler, the CEO of the Maryland Zoo, for joining us. If you're looking for more information on the zoo, go to the WYPR website and look for Future City. You'll find information about hours, tours, and of course, their animals. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City on 88.1 WYPR. I'll share some thoughts about the park and why it's moving in the right direction. We've been talking about Baltimore's Druid Hill Park. I know this park intimately. As a young child, my family and I visited this park often. We went to the zoo in our Sunday outfits. I saw the many plants at the conservatory and taken strolls along Druid Lake Reservoir. For recreation, I have run, biked, hiked, walked, and yes, played basketball, tennis, and yes, frisbee golf like many of you. This is a cherished resource, so there are questions about the changes. People without means wonder, will it change the nature of the space? Those who live nearby wonder, will they be priced out of living near the park? The price tag and the time frame for refurbishing the park is a concern. It's a process. When this park was created at the turn of the century, it was not accessible to everyone. Its covenant barred Jews and African Americans from stepping on its grounds. Today, everyone enjoys this park. Let not the belief of the past be the impediment of the future. Thank you to today's guests for sharing their expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryan. If you want to see images of the redesigns of the park, please go to the Future City webpage on wypr.org. You can listen to extended conversations of all of our guests and find out more about them at the website. We welcome your feedback and you can always email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at Future City, that's one word, at wypr.org. Until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 88.1 WYPR and my producer, Spencer Bryant, and everyone who makes Future City possible. We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company, 
Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com.